Hi, friends. Uh, if we have not met, my name is Charlie Salmoni, lead pastor here. We've been in a series on the Holy Spirit. We found ourselves discussing the gifts of the Holy Spirit. If you don't know what that is, it's okay. We'll fill you in today. But today uh, we are going to begin to address the topic of the spiritual gift of prophecy. <clears throat> I'm going to just read a passage here from the uh, Acts chapter 2. Verse 14 goes like this. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. And Peter's going to, uh, this is the beginning of what is really, can be seen as like the archetype of gospel preaching. The first and arguably the most successful sermon ever preached. But as a preacher, I was, my attention was drawn to... Peter's introduction to his sermon, or lack thereof, I guess you could say, his introduction is, listen careful, <laughs> listen carefully to what I'm going to say, and that was it, and that's not that funny to probably a lot of you, but to those who have put sermons together, it's funny, because we put a lot of time and a lot of thinking into introductions, because we know that to have a good introduction, it's important, because, well, you need to make a connection with the people you're talking to, notably, or, or really what it is, is um, if people aren't paying attention, like if they're not leaning in, you're not really speaking to their heart, and you might as well be speaking to a brick wall, and I have to compete with smartphones, because there's a lot of, you know, interaction there, and I, I need you to really listen is what I'm trying to say, so it's like, how do I do that? Maybe I'll come up with like a, a story you can relate with, or I'll pose some sort of question that is thought-provoking or even provocative, or perhaps I'll address some concern or something weighty on our hearts, something to make you listen, right? Because otherwise, what am I even doing? Peter preaches the most successful sermon ever, and he introduces the sermon with, hey, everyone, listen careful. Listen carefully. And that's, that's it. Well, um, that's not fair, right? Um, well, to be, to be fair to the situation, there was some other things going on at the time. Uh, Peter didn't actually need to get everyone's attention because there was a sound like a mighty wind shaking the place and people were speaking in languages they did not know and other people were hearing them praise God in these languages they did not know. So here's my point. There was evidence, there was clear evidence that God was there and God was at work. And when there's clear evidence God is there and God is at work, you don't need to come up with uh, some sort of quippy intro to get everyone's attention, right? People already are like, what's going on here? And as we discuss this spiritual gift of prophecy, to my delight, I see that as one of the attentions, intentions that God has of this spiritual gift of prophecy to show us that he is here with us. And for those who are walking in and they have no idea about any of this Christianity stuff, it's supposed to get your attention and say, whoa, whoa, this isn't just a gathering of people with perhaps someone giving a speech. God is here. That's what was happening in Acts chapter 2. God was here. And um, so he had everyone's attention. And what I see from the scriptures is this is something that God wants to give us. Well, after Peter got everyone's attention with 
hey everyone, pay careful attention to what I'm going to say. Listen to what he does say because it's very relevant to the conversation that, that we're having now. Uh, beginning in verse 15, it says, Peter says, these people are not drunk as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So notice what Peter is saying. Um, what you're seeing here, the evidence of God, this is a fulfillment of what God said was going to happen, that in the last days he would pour out his spirit. That phrase, the last days, kind of means something. Uh, means something to people who hang out with Christians or people who are Christians. The last days, sometimes you hear someone say, do you think we're in the last days? And the answer biblically is yes, definitely, we are. The last days are this time period where um, you have in the Bible, you have the beginning, the days of, of before sin, the days of Adam, the days of, of the flood with Noah, you have the days of the, of the patriarchs, uh, Abraham, uh, Isaac, Jacob, and such. You have the days of Moses, the giving of the law. You have the days of the kings, the establishment of a throne in Israel, all of that different sections of days, the days of the prophets, looking forward to the, to the Messiah. And if you don't know what I'm talking about with all that, it's okay. It's, it's a lot to get into if you've not studied the Bible. But anyways, and then at the end, you have the last days, the last section of Scripture, the last section of God's time for how he's dealing with the redemption of mankind. And beloved, what we see in the scriptures is we are in these last days. This is it. This is the last section of time before it all comes to a, um, a climax till, till the end. And one of the marks of these last days is, well, in previous times, it was only certain people, namely prophets and perhaps the occasional king, who would, who would be anointed with God's Holy Spirit. But what is different about the last days is that he's going to pour out his spirit on all of his people. He says even your servants, men and women, as in the least of these. Not just, not just pastor or elder, but the person greeting you at the door, the person taking care of the babies in the nursery, even on my servants, men and women. And what he says is something he kind of equates like spirits can be poured out and they're going to prophesy. He says that more than once. They're going to prophesy. What's that mean? Well, to prophesy means, well, it means to, to, to speak forth the truth of God. But there's more to it. It's to hear from God. To prophesy is to, to get a message personally from God. Whether that can be, and we read about dreams, it can be a vision, there's other ways that God can speak to people. Like Avange mentioned, just having a, an impression, a sense upon his heart, like God is telling me this. One of the marks of being in this last period is God is going to speak personally to his people. And one of the big ways he does it is through the gift of, of prophecy. 
Well, there's something else here, actually, that also caught my attention, which does seem to be relevant to these last days and, and even the gift of prophecy. You're going to see this. It's all connected. He says, in these last days, pour out my spirit. People are going to prophecy. And also, there's going to be wonders in the heaven, signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. Oh, well, that's something. Uh, what does that mean? What does that mean? There's going to be blood and fire and billows of smoke. Uh, if there was blood and fire and smoke coming forth, that was the, the, uh, a sign of God, I think that a, a, I think a feeling would be felt from everyone. I don't think I'd really, I don't think you would need a preacher to explain what is going on. These are things that point to the, the penetrating truth of God's seeing, holy judgment. So it means God is holy, and the scriptures say God is a consuming fire, blood and fire and smoke. And what Peter says is these things are going to be seen during this section of time, these last days. In verse 21, and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. As in, the reality of God's judgment will be present. The reality of his penetrating, seeing eye, nothing can hide, no one can hide from, from the gaze of God. That's going to be evident. And from that, people are going to naturally feel a sense of dread as we realize that we're sinners, what the Bible might call conviction. And from this... Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone who says, I need a Savior. I need a Savior. And actually, during this time, those things specifically weren't happening. There was the sound of a mighty wind, but there wasn't the blood and the smoke. That didn't actually happen on Acts chapter 2. But the reaction from the people was the same. That's the big thing that I'm trying to see and tell you, and you're going to see that later. When God's spirit is poured forth, whether you see the smoke, whether you see the blood, the reality of God, the awesomeness, the greatness, the wonder, the glory, and also the reality of his judgment to stand before him and, and be judged as we all will be one day, all of that is evident when God's people are prophesying, when God's people are so filled with his spirit that anyone who walks in can say, God is here. God is here. That is awesome. God is here. I need a savior. That's the reaction. That's what happened. Acts chapter 2. Actually, you know, jump ahead to Peter's sermon. Um, there's no blood and there's no smoke, but there might as well be based on what the people are experiencing. Peter preaches a sermon. Verse 37, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. You see? They had the exact same reaction. Peter says, uh, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, and that's exactly what they're doing later. They're saying, what should we do? They're feeling the presence of conviction as if the blood and the smoke and the fire were there. The reality of the truth of God. That's what we're discussing. 
the reality of the truth of God. And the truth of God does the same thing to a sinner's heart that it's always done. The reality of God's awesomeness, yes, yes, yes. And another accompanying reality, I myself need a savior. And the message, the gospel message is good news. There is a savior and you can have him. He's yours. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And what will happen? You will receive this Holy Spirit. He doesn't even mention going to heaven when you die. That's part of it. That's a big part of it. A lot of times when we share the gospel today, that's what we focus on. And that's not what he focused on. What he focused on is this pouring out of the Spirit, this thing you see. And what he said is this promise is for you and your children. And so when we begin this conversation of the spiritual gift of prophecy, don't for a moment think that this is not for us. Because right after Peter explained what's going to happen in the last days, your sons and daughters will prophesy, he says the promise is for you. That's what we read right here. Verse 39, the promise is for you and your children and all who are far off. Father God, lead me to speak your truth and let us grasp the reality of you, the glory, the power, the, the smoke, the blood, all of it, Lord. Let us grasp who you are and, and rejoice in the Savior that we have. Okay, the spiritual gift of prophecy. We're diving in 1 Corinthians, beginning chapter 1 of, uh, beginning chapter 14, verse 1. Follow the way of love and eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries in their spirit. But the one who prophecies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves, but the one who prophesies edifies the church. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I would rather have you prophesy. prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be edified. The whole thing, speaking tongues, you're going to have to listen to the sermon two weeks ago um, to be filled in with that, so we're gonna, not going to touch it today. He starts with, follow the way of love and eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit. In that order. Last week, Basil preached on chapter 13, and he started with this, like, stop. He started with this, like, interruption, stop. Because in the Scriptures, the conversation of love interrupts the conversation of the spiritual gifts. And that's why I began this series on the Holy Spirit with the reminder that God's heart is for oneness. That's what all this is about. God is one. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, one. And for, forefront on our minds and in, in, in our intentions, and the intentions of our heart should be this oneness for his people. So don't forget that. In this order, in this order, follow the way of love. And in that Desire, earnestly desire the gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. Sometimes people think that uh, this gift of prophecy is not for today. And we don't need a fresh word from God because that's what prophecy is. Prophecy is to desire this fresh word from God. 
from God to speak to me in a personal, new, fresh way. That's the desire. And some people kind of scoff at that, and they say, we don't need that. We have a Bible. And some people say that that gift has ceased because they didn't have the New Testament canon like we do. They didn't have the New Testament Bible. We do, so we don't need this spiritual gift of prophecy. The Bible, which I love, tells us to desire it. I see that as a command. Desire, earnestly desire. Very much desire to hear from God. Very much desire to be able to prophesy on his behalf. That's a command. I think we should take his commands seriously. Desire it. Desire it. Does that mean that everyone will? Does that mean that everyone will hear from God? I don't think it really means that because two chapters ago, Paul hypothetically asks, do all prophesy or are all prophets? And he seems to be saying no. But nevertheless, his spirit is poured out on all his people in different ways. And this specific gift we're told to want. So even if you don't do it, maybe you've never done it yet. We should still desire this. Because to desire to hear from God is to de desire intimacy with God. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about saying, God, I want to hear from you. God, I want to know you. I don't want you to just be a distant God that I can read about in the Bible. I want you to be an experiential God that I can experience and feel. And I'm going to be honest here. I fear that some of us don't want that kind of intimacy with God. We don't want it to be that personal. All right? You're the preacher. You hear from God. No, no, no. No. Earnestly desire you. You. Seek him yourself. Seek his face. That's what he seems to be saying. That's what I, that's what I gather. Um, well, why though? Why, if we have a Bible, if we have God speaking us through the Bible, why do we need these fresh words? Well, the thing is, let me show you an example of New Testament prophecy that we see um, in, in the Apostle Paul speaks about it in 1 Timothy. Chapter 4, beginning verse 13. Until I come, he's talking to his friend, his, his, his disciple Timothy. He says, until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to preaching and to teaching. Amen. Do not neglect your gift, which was given you through the prophecy, was given, was, which was given to you through prophecy, when the body of elders laid their hands on you. Okay, hear this. I'm all about reading scripture. It's what I'm doing, okay? I'm all about the Bible. You know it. He, he says to, to, to Timothy, devote yourself to the public reading of scripture, preaching and teaching. Amen. That's what we do. And he also says to Timothy, don't neglect your gift, which was given you through the prophecy, through prophecy when the body of elders laid their hands on you. We don't even know what that was. We don't know what word Timothy was given, but a prophecy about him was spoken. It was about him. That is why prophecy can be helpful, because it's personal. It was about him. It seems to be about his gift of teaching. It was probably something about God has made you to be a teacher, read his word, tell people his word. That's probably what it was. We don't know specifically what it was, but the idea is God had a personal word for Timothy, and he shared it with him through when elders laid their hands on him. That's interesting. All right, I'm going to tell you actually how this went down. Uh, for me personally, actually. We were doing this. Uh, we were doing this as elders. We were laying hands on some new elders. 
and this was just a, a month or two ago. And um, a couple of people from our prayer team were there. And, you know, this concept was in my mind, this concept of laying on of hands and, and prophesizing. And I was thinking, all right, I'm going I'm to give this a shot. <laughs> As in like, like praying, like, Lord, let me, let me have a word to say here. And, um, uh, okay. First, uh, uh, oh man. I'm kind of like debating like how much time I have and how much I want to get into this story. I'm going to be quick. Uh, first, um, is Roger here? I think I saw him somewhere. He is. Okay. <laughs> we're, um, I don't know if Roger was first, but, but Roger, um, we're laying hands on Roger. And I'm like, all right, I, I'm going to, Lord, let me speak. Let me prophesy. Let me do that. And I'm laying hands on Roger and praying. And I'm just kind of saying what I feel in my heart when I know about Roger. And I'm like, Roger, you, your joy marks you. Like, you're someone who is known by your joy. And I'm just following that train of thought. I'm just speaking. Like, you're known by your joy. It is your strength. It is, it is firm. It's not something, you know, that can shake. And, and that joy bears fruit. I'm like, Roger, like, your joy, you are, you are a tree. I'm just like, I'm actually just like saying kind of what I'm feeling right now. Like, you are a tree, like a, like a redwood or an oak, and I'm, as I'm saying this, it, it feels almost like you're trying to scratch an itch, but you're not quite there. I'm like, you're an oak, you're a redwood, and then I just felt it, I'm like, you're the cedar of Lebanon, and like, Roger's from Lebanon, and it's like, there's this thing in the Bible, like, the cedar of Lebanon is like this tree that, that, that exemplifies, like, the strength and the fruitfulness of God, and it was just this beautiful moment where I just felt like, that's it. Like, it, was just, it, it wasn't anything big. It wasn't like Roger on this day, four years from now, something was going to happen. But it was Roger, remember this. I can say this to you, just like Timothy. Roger, remember, your joy is your strength. Your joy is a firm thing that people can see and say, this is a man who has something. Okay? It's, it's fruitful. It bears fruit for people. And then, um, and then Chris McQueen was up, and I was... I'm just like, okay, I'm, I'm going to try this again. <laughs> I'll try this again. And um, uh, Rita was there from our prayer team. And before we prayed for, for Chris, she's like, I, I just hear the word mantle. And I, I heard that, and I'm like, I'm picturing like this wood thing over a fireplace. And I'm just like, all right, that means nothing to me, but whatever. <laughs> that's all I thought. I'm like, mantle, that's all I know of the word mantle is a thing over a fireplace and I think it was Barb was there also, and I think she said, like, she sees, like, this river or a stream. I'm like, all right, here we go. Lay hands on Chris, and I start praying again. I'm just praying what I'm feeling and what I'm thinking. And for some reason, I, I think of some of the stories I've heard about Chris's father. I've met him once, and he prayed for me, you know. And, it, like, a man who was just known for faithfulness and prayer and specifically praying over and blessing pastors, Remember, that's a thing that he does that Chris told me. And as I'm praying for Chris, and I'm like, the blessing that was on your father, the anointing that was on your father, is, is going to be yours um, in a double portion, which is something from the scripture like Elijah, uh, the prophet Elisha in 2 Kings. He gets, he gets um, 
he, he asks for the blessing of his, the person who discipled him, Elijah. He asks for a double portion. And that was just on my mind. And it's just what I shared in it. I didn't really think that much of it, but I felt that's what was on my heart. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I get done, and someone else mentioned, like, you know, that happens, that thing where the blessing that's passed from Elijah to Elisha in 2 Kings, it happens on the banks of a river, on the banks, you know, like, like Barb said, a river. I'm like, that, that's interesting, this, this blessing being passed from one to another. I go home, seriously, I go home and I, I'm talking to my wife about this. And I Google the word mantle because it's still on my mind. I'm like, I don't know what to do with that mantle, wood thing over a fireplace. I Google it. And the definition that comes up is an important role or responsibility that passes from one person to another. And there's a picture when you Google it, you just Google it, it comes up on, on Google, this picture of like a cloak. Um, it also, and if you go back and read the, the passage with Elisha, is Elijah takes off his cloak and he gives it to, Eli or it's there and left for Elijah, this passing of the mantle, and then I went just like an hour ago in my office and I looked at the King James translation of 2 Kings and it says, Elisha, he took up also the mantle of Elijah that fell from him and went back and stood by the bank of the Jordan. I swear to you, I knew nothing of that definition of the word mantle when I said what I did uh, blessing Chris and laying hands on him. And I would say the same thing, just like Paul is saying here to Timothy, don't forget the gift that was given you through prophecy. I'd say, Chris, keep remembering your father, what he did, the life he lived, blessing others. And, and don't neglect that gift. Uh, be that sort of person, a man of prayer, and a man who, who lays hands in, on people and, and prays for them, like Chris's dad did the moment I met him. Okay. Uh, I keep going, but I'm going to be quick. All right, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 23. So if the whole church comes together and everyone speaks in tongues and inquires, or unbelievers come in, will they not say that you're out of your mind? But if an unbeliever or an inquirer comes in while everyone is prophesying, they're convicted of sin and brought under judgment by all, as the secrets of their hearts are laid bare. So they will fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God is really among you. Once more, oh, man. I'm all about the gifts of tongues. I talked about it two weeks ago. Uh, I, I, I pray in tongues quite a bit. But if there's no one there to interpret, it can be harmful to the church, specifically to the mission. Just, I just want to remind you, if there's no one that can interpret it in the group setting, then it's not helpful in a group setting. But keep reading, there, there is a way, I'm, I'm not forbidding tongues, but there's just a way that it can be done, even in a group setting, there is a way. But um, to be honest, I'm a little grieved when I hear people speak in tongues and there's no attempt to interpret in a group setting. I'm a little grieved, especially if I'm aware of people in the room who might not know what's going on because it can cause people to think you guys are weird and you're out of your minds. So just remind you, that's what the scripture says about tongues. But in contrast with prophecy, if people are prophesizing and someone walks in, what does he say? This is very interesting to me. What does he say? The 
person is convicted of sin and brought under judgment by all as the secrets of their hearts are laid bare. It doesn't mean that all people are judging them. That's not the point. The point is Acts chapter 2. This, the awareness of God. God is real. God is among you. This isn't just a story. This isn't just empty religion. There's power here. There's the presence of God. That's amazing. Oh no, I'm a sinner. I need a savior. That's what's going to happen is what he says. That is a purpose of the pouring out of the Spirit. So God's people are recognized, and so sinners are brought under conviction, not for the purpose of condemning them, but for the purpose of salvation. All who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. To me, this is beautiful. This is what I want from us. This is what I want from our church. What then shall we say, brothers and sisters, verse 26, when you come together, each of you has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation? Everything must be done so that the church may be built up. If anyone speaks in a tongue, two or at most three should speak, one at a time, and someone must interpret. If there is no interpreter, the speaker should keep quiet in the church and speak to himself and to God. Two or three prophets should speak, and the others should weigh carefully what is said. And if a revelation comes to someone who is sitting down, the first speaker should stop. For you can all prophecy in turn so that everyone may be instructed and encouraged. The spirits of prophets are subject to the control of the prophets. For, every, for God is not a God of disorder, but of peace, as in all the congregations of the Lord's people. Okay, pay attention. So, what strikes me the most about this is this is a picture of the church when the Spirit is poured out. People are not showing up to church as empty vessels ready to be filled. People are showing up with overflow. That's, what he's, that's the picture he's painting. You guys come together. Each of you has a hymn, as in a song in your heart, something that you just want to sing. Someone else shows up with a word of instruction. There's a scripture that's speaking to me. I really want to share it with someone. Someone else shows up with a revelation, as in God laid this on my heart and I want to share it. Someone else shows up with a tongue. Okay? That's, that's something here. Someone else shows up with a tongue, and he actually gives an order of how this can work. And this actually is what we're going to do on February 11th. I want to encourage you to be there. This is what we did, this is what we did a, a month ago, and I talked to you about it, and how God spoke to us collectively. He, he actually says that as you're doing this, God might speak to someone and give them someone a word right there as you're meeting. And I think that's what actually happened to Sonia. If you remember that story, I told it, I think, uh, a couple weeks ago. You have to go back on the YouTube. I'm running out of time, otherwise I'd tell it again. Um, but I'd say, come here. Come here February 11th and see that. And you know what? The scripture's actually, going back to tongues, scriptures actually say, do not forbid tongues. Don't forbid it. There is a way that tongues can, can be shared. If someone shows up on, on February 11th and they feel like God's given them tongue to, to share, you have an opportunity to do that. And this is how it'll work. You share a tongue and then I'll say, does anyone have an interpretation? Can anyone interpret this? Because that's a gift also, spiritual interpretation. Or sometimes a tongue can actually be someone praising God and maybe they'll be in a language that you speak. I mean, I've never seen that happen, but I read the Bible and I believe it. And so if someone has a tongue to share, I'm not going to forbid it. We're going to follow the scriptures. Um, but then we're going to see, can anyone interpret it? And if they can, then, we're, then, then we have what is essentially prophecy 
If not, it's like, okay, um, that's something for you to do with God. Just that's, that's the order that he shares in this. Um, I, I want to I be honest about this. This sort of stuff makes some people nervous. Makes some people nervous, and, and that's why they're like, I like a little more of a controlled environment. Let's talk about the Bible. Let's be really orderly, and let's, let's not have any room for any of that weird stuff. Okay, the problem with that is the Bible. Okay? That's not what the Bible lays out. Actually, um, uh, jump to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 19 and 22. Do not quench the spirit. Do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. Hold on to what is good. Reject every kind of evil. As in, don't have this attitude of like, oh, you've heard from God, have you? <laughs> you know, don't, don't have that, that attitude of just contempt. Okay? But... On the other hand, being honest here, there are some churches, I fear, that in their desire, in their zeal for spiritual gifts, have lost a sense of order. That's why he says everything needs to be done in order. God's not a God of disorder. Okay, there's a reputation, and sometimes it's true, where in churches that are more zealous about these gifts, there's a little bit of chaos, okay, and not a sense of what he's laying out here, okay? So this is what we're going to strive for. This, um, yes, we want to hear from God, but there is a sense of order. And let's say someone does get a sense that they hear from God. That's not the end of a conversation, as in that's not a thus saith the Lord. Then the instructions are... Um, then the instructions are, uh, um, uh, it's somewhere in here. The, oh, there it is. Verse 29. Two or three prophets should speak and the others should weigh carefully what is said. What that means kind of is the same thing we, that I read in 1 Thessalonians. Do not treat prophecies with, with contempt, but test them all. Meaning, if someone feels like they have a word from God, it doesn't mean it's just like, oh, God said... It actually means, oh, let's examine that. Let's examine it based on what we know about God, based on what we know about the scriptures, based on what we see God doing. It's something that is supposed to be weighed. Oh, I really wanted time for Q&A. Nita, come on up here. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to get done speaking because I'm, I'm sure the things that I said are bringing forth questions. And I realize I talked for longer than I wanted to. I think we're going to have to talk about the gift of prophecy again in the coming weeks.